VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? I'm doing well, Ben, because in the background I have uh, FC Barcelona game with Leandro Leandro Balmaro playing live basketball, um, which is fantastic. very very nice. Uh, you know, change of pace. Uh, how are you? I'm 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 good. I'm I'm glad to see Balmaro uh, playing this time. Um, and today we have a guest um, following up our big mock draft episode. If you haven't listened to those episodes, uh, go do that before you listen to this one. Um, and we have our friend Zach Milner of the Stepian. So, Zach, how's it going? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So today we're going to have um, Zach basically go over our mock draft, um, give opinions, grade how everyone did. We're going to talk about certain picks. Um as Zach is the um, objective outsider. So um, without talking too much, let's just get into it. There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds slash lines for their best upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Yeah, so we're going to milk this uh, this concept for as long as possible because we're struggling to come up with, with content uh, during the hiatus. <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about the second overall pick to the New York Knicks was Killian Hayes. Uh, and we've talked positively a lot about Hayes on this podcast, but I mean, we we, I, we raised some concerns during the cons- during the recording of the actual mock, um, and I think that they are probably worth going into a little bit more, um, just you know, given how much how much praise we've heaped on Killian in the past. Um, so, Zach, what do you think about Killian in the short term as an NBA contributor? Yeah, so I mean, I I'm a big fan of Killian Hayes' game. I think I was actually one of the earlier ones to be on the top three prospect Killian Hayes. Um, but I do think that some people might tend to overrate his NBA readiness from day one. Um, while I do believe in the spot up long term, he has been pretty bad as an off ball player, as a spot up shooter recently. I mean, this year he shot like 22 percent um, on catch and shoot opportunities, and as, as a short-term guy, I mean, if he gets given the keys to run an offense, um, he's still, I mean, he's improving there with, a, with his athleticism and self-creation, but he's also um, predictable with his step back and he relies on the step back a little too much. So I, I like him a lot long-term. I think he's going to be a, a good NBA player, but um, from his readiness day one, I mean, it still could be good, but I think it's getting a little bit overrated. 
Yeah, and I mean we've we've definitely talked about believing him in him as a relatively safe guy in the long term. But I'm totally with you on the overrated in the short term as a contributor. Just you know, on account of he really is not a very good off ball player right now, and it's I think a little hard to divorce that from the role that he's asked to or was asked to play for Ulm, um, where he was just simply like always looking to get the ball back essentially when he was off the ball. But I mean, something as simple as not being a good spot up shooter right now, like something that shines with his pull up for example, in, in like his footwork, it isn't so much there uh, as an off the catch shooter. I mean, he's just, I, I don't think that he's ready to, you know, to be a, a positive impact offensive player yet. Uh, I'm have maybe a little bit more confidence in, in the defense in the short term, uh, just because I you know believe in him so much as an off ball guy and the, the strides that he's made so quickly on the ball, but offensively. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, another thing would be that he's probably going to be a very high turnover guy in the short term, which I don't even think is necessarily like a bad indicator for his, for his future performance, but in the short term, you know, that, that is going to hurt. Um, so I think that definitely in the, in the short term, Killian Hayes's you know, potential for positive impact is, is overstated a bit. And if he did actually end up on the Knicks um, as he did in our mock draft, I mean, even though the, the role in terms of playing on the ball would be similar, I mean, the coaching and the spacing and just the situation he'd be thrown in would be much less suitable. I mean, Yaka Lakovic, um, I believe, uh, Ulm's coach is like a really good coach in terms of scheming Killian, um, in terms of scheming to to fit his ben- to, to benefit him, in terms of getting him to his left hand and not really forcing him to go right very often. Because that's well, Morrow just hit a step back three. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> okay, but um, yeah, um, we'll talk more about Warren later. But uh, Killian, uh, yeah, he's doesn't really have a right hand at this point. Can't really pass with it. Not very good dribbling with it. Um, and Ulm knew that, so they got him going left, and it was effective. But with the Knicks uh, next to RJ Barrett, who is another player that doesn't really have a capable right hand, um, that probably provide that probably um, adds some some issues there. And especially if if Killian were drafted number two, the Knicks would likely be forcing him on ball. And I don't really trust their their offense, which one has never been very good or creative. I mean, the offense that had Julius Randle running offense for most of the time last year and uh, one that has is terribly spaced and is not imaginative offensively, which is try to give well, they the very well may have a new go. they very well may have a new head coach. Yeah, that's tr- yeah, that's true. But still, I'd be skeptical until I saw that. Um yeah, I mean, Killian would I would worry about his short term fit in New York. I mean, I don't hate it long term, assuming he can improve, um, improve his right handed uh, ball handling and passing, and just become a more well rounded offensive player and improve off ball. Like I think he will. Yeah, I have, I have questions about it in the short term, but I mean, the Knicks picking it two is not a good spot, like we talked about. Assuming Lamelo goes one, because there really isn't anybody that's great for them. I think there. Yeah, and, and also like even if it let's say it was it wasn't um, New York at two like let's say the Warriors end up looking at him. Um, I, originally, I had thought that like okay, he's a safe pick. The Warriors will want that. But then thinking about it more, back to the readiness from day one. I mean, he's probably in Golden State. I mean, they might play him off the ball and have those shooters run off screens, but like he'll have to be able to be productive off the ball as well when Steph has the ball. So it's just yeah, yeah this, just the readiness from day one. I think is being a little overrated right now i still really like him as a prospect top three prospect to me i think he was going to be a good nba player but yeah just short term is a little more questionable than i think is getting um being recognized yeah i mean with you mentioning the warriors i we wanted to talk also about the about their pick 
at uh, number five, I think it was. Yeah, five, Onyeka Kongwu. And, um, I mean, like you like you mentioned with um, with Killian, uh, th- I think that, that you know, it's, it's very important to think about what the um, you know structure of the offense and, and defense that a player is being dropped into will look like. Um, but it's also important to think, you know, what specifically the role would be. And this is something that we talked about on the actual mock with Onyeka, that if you're just looking for a guy who's going to fit into a very simplified role on a team that is at the very least fringe contending, I would say for the, for the Warriors. Um, I don't know that a big man is necessarily the way to go because you can find big men who fill small, small and very specific roles uh, for nothing, you know, just as free agents, but it's a lot more difficult to find. um, I mean, Anthony Edwards wasn't available, but it's a lot more difficult to find someone like Isaac Okoro who, you know, is a, is a, you know, impressive wing passer, a really, really overwhelming individual wing defender, uh, and a, and a smart team defender as well. And just such a powerful slasher. Uh, that's something that's a lot harder to find. So, I mean, Zach, how did, how did you feel about the, the team building, you know, idea behind Onyeka Kongwu to the Warriors at five? Yeah. So I think right now, and even on, on, on your mock pod, you brought up good points and I had similar thinking of that. Um, I think overall, just as a Kongu, as a, like a value pick as well, not even just here, but in general, I might just be a little bit lower, not because I'm lower on his talent, but just because just from a value perspective a little. But I mean, I do think it's fair to note that the Warriors are in a different spot than most lottery teams where they are trying to win next year. And they also do need a center. But at the same time, like you brought up, he'd probably be in a low usage role anyways. Um, it's sort of not that he himself is replaceable, but the role that they need is sort of replaceable. So, like, using a top five pick on that just isn't the best um, value or use of assets. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I like Kwangu as a player, and he – I mean, I do wish he had a couple more inches to him. But, yeah, I think you touched on pretty much most of the stuff there where um, might not be the best use of assets. Yeah, although I will say long-term, I know you're, you're a bit lower on the value of, of a Kongwu, but long-term, I think you could make a case in the other direction that being the – very scheme versatile and just like scalable big man that he has is actually so rare that there is inherent value in that. Like you, I think that the devaluation of big men doesn't apply to the guys that actually scale well. I mean, it's, it's like the great Trump card of like Anthony Davis, for example, that he just, you know, he fits so perfectly in every situation and is generating value in, in a way that takes nothing away. Um, if you think that that's what a Kong Wu is, uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to speak for Jackson, who made that pick. But I think if you think that that's what a Kongwu is, then it's kind of, like you can put a premium on the value of that from a team building perspective. However, in the short term, I'm I'm very much with you that I mean, if he's if he's in a pretty minor role, that's something that you can you can just find. Yeah, yeah I think there is. So Zach, you can go. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So and I agree with that. Um, and I mean, like I said before, like. Like if he had two more inches, I'd probably be more open to it as well. Um, unfortunately, we, who knows if we're actually going to get measurements out of combine this year as well. Um, so we'll see there. But I had the chance to see a Kongu in person several times this year um, at USC because I'm in LA. And I mean, there, there are some times where he's just very dominant on the floor. But there are also times where he just goes invisible. Now, sometimes that is because USC guards just can't throw an entry pass. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty frustrating to watch. But there are times where just like you can see how he doesn't impact. I mean, he has a big impact on the game overall, but there are some spurts where he just doesn't impact the game. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've mentioned uh, his performance against Isaiah Stewart, I think in the first Washington game before. And it just, I mean, in the short term, I think 
how Onyeka Kongwu will handle NBA centers uh, defending individually is definitely a concern. Like he is, he's pretty weak in the upper body right now. And he, he kind of got, you know, beasted by Stewart, who is really, you know, undersized by NBA standards and, and doesn't have NBA caliber leaping ability. Uh, so I think in the short term, it's like a, it's a really valid concern. It's why I think in the short term, I'm maybe a little bit lower on a Kongwu, even though I'm very confident in him as a, as a valuable player in the long term. Yeah, I think for Golden State, at least um, in the short term, I mean, he could potentially provide some surplus value like in bench units as a more offensive, as a more useful offensive player if he's not pigeonholed into just like a straight rim roll, a straight rim rolling or play finisher role with with guys like Steph and Clay on the floor. But when when those guys sit, I mean, because Akamu is pretty talented as a face up score, has really great touch and, and great footwork around the rim. And has shown some improved short roll passing, even though it's not where it needs to be. Um, he could potentially fit in some maybe a higher usage bench roll to to get some more value because the Warriors. I mean, as we kind of talked about before, um, the Warriors just desperately need like NBA players who who can like play and and aren't horrible. And like if a Kongu can can fit in um, with Bom- the... Bomaro just set a big screen and then pop for a three and hit it, hit the movement ish three. <laughs> yeah, I just see Max make a very excited face. <laughs> I knew Max and, was gonna do this stuff. <laughs> 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 but yeah, Onyeka, um, like, is someone who can really benefit the Warriors in like a lot of different ways, not just not just in a minimized role from with the, the starting unit and better players, but like especially in the case of injuries, which we've seen have been a thing with this Warriors team with Steph and Clay, um, where he can make more of an impact in a larger role there offensively. So, I mean, I am, like generally, I think the pick is fine. Um, I probably would have. I'm not sure what I've gone, but I mean, I think there's youth, there's definitely short and long term uh, use there, even if uh, maybe in the short term it's not as like like in terms of maximizing value, it could have done better. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to spend too too long in this, but uh, Zach, like who who would you have gone with for for Golden State in this scenario instead? Um, probably. I mean, I think um, Acuardo is probably just the way to go there. Um, I mean, it is a tough one. I mean, I've I've said this multiple times that I mean, in the in the fourth, fifth, sixth range, I, there's not that many players that I'm that intrigued by. So I mean, someone has to go, obviously. But I, I would have preferred a Koro over a Kongwu, even with the shot being in question. And and before we do move on, I do want to say one more thing. Um, Ben was Ben was bringing up his ability to to face up and and pass. I I'm okay with that in the long term. I do think that will still come with time, not as short term and um. With like passing out of the post this year, when the double comes, he predetermines what he's going to do. So I mean, he knows that he wants to go to the other corner, but he'll make up his mind before he does it. And sometimes the defense will already know he's doing that, and he'll throw a turnover, or he doesn't get the ball there cleanly. So it's good that he's looking there, and he or he knows that that's the way to go. But just knowing when to do that versus when not to do that, and taking advantage of the defense is something he has to improve on as well. Yep. Um, so, but let's. One? Yeah, let's talk about. Um, I'm I'm just gonna let Zach uh, do his thing talking about uh, Patrick <laughs> Williams to the Cavs at number six because uh, we're we're definitely pro Patrick Williams on this podcast and uh, and Zach is a little uh, you know he's gonna be a little voice of reason here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to start off, I'm not gonna say I'm against Patrick Williams because I I do like him as a player. I just don't think taking him this high makes any sense at all. I watched a lot of Florida State this year because they have a lot of fun players and Patrick Williams, Vassell, Raekwon Gray, Trent Forrest, and more. And I just don't understand Patrick Williams this high with the upside. And I, I know, Ben, you said there's room for unexpected development with him. 
But that's sort of a, a weird reason to pick someone high. Like you should be banking on something that's more expected that you could bank on. And using that reasoning, it doesn't seem very consistent. And yeah, do you have anything to say to that, first of all, before I go deeper? Yeah, I mean, I generally think, but like this is a tough spot for Cleveland because they've really screwed themselves in terms of the way they've drafted recently and the way they've managed their cap. Um and so I, so I was between uh, Pat, Pat Will and Okoro um, here, and I chose Patrick Williams because, I mean, I just think that, like I said, I mean, unexpected development, I mean, it's not like a, it's not like a thing to bank on, and, like, it's very much not bankable. And I think there's definitely a chance that Patrick Williams is never more than, like, an eighth man or a ninth man. Um, you know, he doesn't figure out the movement. The shot never materializes. I mean, there's real downside. But again, I mean, he's the youngest American player in the draft. I mean, with really impressive athleticism outside of the hips and the movement. I mean, he's really, he's big, has shown lots of versatility as a shooter, has shown lots of ancillary skills. So I think there's more than just that. I think there's a lot of different ways that he can be really good. And in that situation for Cleveland, I am trying to get someone who was just the best chance to be really good. And even if it doesn't happen, I think that's there's less of really a risk with Cleveland because there's just they've really ruined themselves recently. Um, even in year two of the rebuild, I think they're behind where they should be. Um, right. Yeah, I mean that's right. where. Yeah, I mean so that's where I fall with Patrick Williams and. Yeah, so I understand the age argument, and and there is stuff to like about him. I just personally don't see how he provides number six value, even like unless he becomes an offensive engine, which is very very unlikely. Or this becomes the worst draft of all time, which I guess, who knows. But, I mean, his ability to shoot off the dribble is nice. But I think that's more with him going to be attacking closeouts. He's not going to be this guy who's creating for himself on the perimeter, shooting off the dribble. So, when looking at stuff, like you see him shooting off the dribble, yes, that's impressive. But you also, in my opinion, have to to know, okay, when is he going to actually be able to use this at the next level? Not just the skill itself. And going to his defense, very, very smart defender. Um, can make interior rotations, ex- inter- uh, rotations on the perimeter, can protect the rim. But we just just can't ignore his, his movement. And the fact that he just can't defend the perimeter consistently because he's so slow on the perimeter, that puts him as a four instead of a three where he loses some value. I mean, he still is going to be a valuable player, in my opinion, with his skill set um, on both ends of the floor. But there's just so many times where he just – gets beat on the perimeter. I mean, the one that just stands out is the Syracuse game versus Elijah Hughes. They're up by one with two minutes left. All Elijah Hughes dribbles in a straight line and beats uh, beats Patrick Williams and gets late to take the lead. So there's just just too many instances of that to where I think he will be a little bit limited defensively like from a versatility perspective. And good teams will take advantage of that. And then also, back to offense, yeah, I just don't think he's going to be this amazing offensive player i think he's someone who could space the floor he's going to be a good slasher and he can pass and then yeah he can attack closeouts and he can maybe run a pnr here and here, here and there but he's not going to be this amazing player where the upside is worth the six pick yeah i'm i'm largely with zach on this one i thought that this pick was was a more than a bit of a reach um i i think the pull-up flashes with Williams are definitely more like he's a one dribble pull-up guy, not not a pick and roll operator. I the the reason that I um you know diverge from Zach a little bit, I think I think Zach's got him Williams in more of the 20 range and I'm I'm closer to 10, uh, is that I just care less about the uh flammability on the perimeter. I think the interior defense is super, super valuable. The combination of, of three and rim protection I think is is really valuable. 
Um, and I just think it's it's a pretty rare thing to find. I mean, it, it's kind of funny that there are a lot of those guys in this draft between like Jaden, Patrick Williams, uh, Alexei Pogoshevsky, um, but I mean, even someone like Robert Woodard. But it, I think it generally is hard to come by and very valuable in the NBA. But the thing that I want to kind of touch on is is Ben. Like you seem to be like somewhat fixated on what Cleveland's done in the last couple of drafts. And I think that's relevant to a point like you, you don't want to not take you know the team context into account at all. But like how far was Pat from BPA on your board? Because if I like for me, if it was if I thought one of the guards was by far the best player available, that's just the direction I would have gone in. Okay, well I'm trying to think of who was let me quickly go back and look. Pat was um Pat was um, the third or fourth best guy. Um, I think he was third um, on my – he was third BPA on my board um, behind Okoro and Maxi uh, at that point. Wait, why didn't um, you go – why didn't you just go with Okoro? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just kind of preferred, I think, the upside of, of Patrick Williams and just kind of seeking something unexpected. I think Okoro would have been a good pick and. I again like like a like a core would have fit, but I just had a little more concern, you know, regarding his shot, um, and where he falls with, with Cleveland, and especially not trusting that he's going to get the on-ball reps he needs in Cleveland because they already have Garland and Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. taking up those. Um, so I just didn't really trust the fit there. I mean, like I said, context isn't everything, but I think it's important, especially for Cleveland. So yeah, I mean, I like Patrick Williams more in that spot. Um. And I think no. right, and and um, I do want to say that I, ha- I actually do have Patrick Williams in the fourteen to twenty two range, so it's not the twenties. It's okay. I, I can take him like fourteen to twenties. I'm fine with, so it's not, I'm too low on him. I just uh, view him differently. But but Ben, I actually have a question for you. Do you think that um, Pat Will's realistic upside is higher than Acoro's if Acoro shoots? That's a question. Um, probably not. No. Um, but I think it's close and in the range. Um, and, and like I said, I think, but like, like Coral's upside, the path to his upside is, is pretty clear. Like, I mean, like, like you said, if he shoots, he's probably going to be a really good player. But I think there's more paths for Patrick Williams to to really reach his ceiling. And I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm definitely higher on his ceiling than I think both of you are. Just I believe more in the offense um, in terms of in terms of reaching a ceiling. And, and then defensively, I will make the, the, the counterpointing it to myself is that um, I probably wouldn't trust Cleveland's strength and conditioning program that much to totally transform his, his his quads, you know, maybe uh, downsize those and improve the hip mobility. So I think that's a fair point against me. Uh, I mean, Cleveland's probably not the ideal situation for him to reach his ceiling. But again, I mean, I'm not really thinking about um, the, the prospects uh, long-term as much as I'm thinking uh, what's best for Cleveland at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm just um, a bigger believer in his upside. So, yeah, right, I mean, that's, that's why. That was that's, that's fair. Uh, should we move on now to Okoro with Phoenix at 10? Yeah, it sounds good Yeah, uh, Yeah, so um, I was um, a pretty big fan of this pick. Uh, definitely a, a value to me. And I mean, the obvious thing is the shooting is a problem and the shooting is going to have to improve because Aiton has been unwilling to shoot and and Mikhail Bridges, while, I mean, he's trying to get back to where he was at, at Villanova, but still isn't a super high volume three-point shooter at this point in his career. But yeah, I mean, I like it a lot. First of all, you talk about, how, we talk about on this pod, uh, talks about on the mock pod, having defenders to insulate um, Devin Booker and, and Bridges and Okoro and then Ubre and even Aiden's improved a lot on the defensive end over his second season. That's that's really awesome and gives a lot of lineup versatility. And then offensively, I like the fit because 
Phoenix is an offense that has a lot of motion. It's fairly creative, and it gives the core a lot of windows to 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 succeed on cuts like Bridges, who was an awesome cutter this year. Um, get some more motion off ball, and especially playing next to Rubio um, and Booker, who Booker is a pretty great advantage creator at this point in his career, and and Rubio can definitely um, take advantage of windows. And yeah, I mean, especially in, in I mean, you can insert Okoro as a more like on ball offensive guy in other lineups uh, with more shooting, like Ty Jerome, Cam Johnson, of course Booker. Um, if Mikhail can, yeah, I think um, that was just a pick I, I, I was a big fan of uh, for Phoenix there. So. Yeah, so I was a really um, big fan of this pick as well. You can never have too many wings. Um, there's not, I don't think there's too much to say about the pick itself because it's, I mean, it's a good value, good pick. But I think this pick puts Phoenix in an interesting spot going forward, and I'd be interested to see where they go from there. They already have three solid wings and Ubre, Bridges, and Cam Johnson. I mean, since Kelly Ubre got to Phoenix, he's actually been really good. Um, Bridges this year in December started to pick up his game well, um, started to shoot a lot better. Volume wasn't as high as you want it to be, but the shot started to look better again. Had an impact offensively, getting his hands in the passing lanes, blowing up handoffs. And then he was, like you said, moving well off the ball, getting to the basket um, with cuts and using his length to finish around the basket. And then while Cam Johnson did um, deal with some injuries this year, he showed how good of a shooter he could be. And for him to have the green light that he had as a rookie, I mean, just speaks to how much faith they have in his shot as well. So I know PD brought up that lineup. Um, that sounds a lot of fun with, with Devin Booker, Okoro, Bridges, Ubre, and Aiton. And, and, and you've talked about that as well, where the spacing might be a little weird. But if you also want, you just put Cam Johnson into the lineup for one of the wings. You have a potentially elite shooter with some good defenders with Devin Booker as well. I mean, I think that Phoenix... Even with like the the, the Luca versus Aiton thing, like even with that pick, I think they're still in a, a fine situation going forward. May not be ideal, but they're in an interesting spot, and I still think they do have a nice core and a team going forward. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this off the air, Zach, but like Phoenix doesn't have, I would say, the same luster as as a team like Memphis does. Even though, I mean, you you could definitely argue that Phoenix's core is is superior right now, and I think that. You know, I, I think that, that there's a very strong case for that. I'd probably rather be in the position that Memphis is in in terms of future assets. But, I mean, Phoenix has, has a pretty strong young core, and adding a core to that would be would be very interesting. Um, I, I don't want to go too too off the rails with, like, talking about Aiton. But, at that, I mean, at that point, like, it, it is, it's such a good value for a Coro. And if, you, if he can just get to being passable as a spot-up guy, I mean, we've talked so much about how you can scheme to get him going downhill, how he's such a powerful slasher. I mean, he, he's just, he is so much better than everyone else, you know, available that, that like should be available at that range in this draft that I think it was a no brainer um, and a really good fit. And it, I think it offers definitely a lot of interesting lineup uh, options. I mean, you could even go small with him and, and just like go with essentially five wings. Um, if, I mean, if you, if you count Booker in that, uh, right. but if, if, um, does anyone have anything else to add on the Coro to Phoenix pick, or should we talk about OB to Portland? No, I think that's good. I mean, I guess one more thing, like uh, even playing a Coro with the two, I know it's been touched on, but like I, I do like Point Book. I think Devin Booker has improved his passing over the last two and a half years. Like he started showing it two and a half years ago. So like it's been there, and they have experimented it. And I mean, I know Rubio came in, and Rubio helped a lot with the team just from a winning perspective. But I do think long term, like not that he has to be Point book long term but like that's another avenue for phoenix and it gives them more lineup flexibility but yeah i mean a coral they're so such a such an easy like 
pick right there. Yeah, I feel like right now, point book is something that, especially with like in the context of this pick, you can view it as an option. It definitely like it's a it's a lineup option. It's one that could be effective, but it's not. It, you're not boxed into it. It's not the only thing you have to do, and you, you're not in a situation where you can't do it either. Yeah. There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at BetOnline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds slash lines for their best upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Oh no! Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you Manscaped for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Men, start taking notes because Manscaped accidents are finally a thing of the past. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 has been beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. This is their third generation trimmer, featuring advanced skin safe technology so you keep your bad boys nice and smooth. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to shave in the shower too. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. Your balls will thank you. Um, so for Obi to Portland at 14, I think this is this is a fine pick. Uh, like I'm, I have Obi probably a little bit lower than this and I'm not like I don't love it, but it, it's pretty solid. Uh, the one thing that I'll say before uh, I know Zach had some things he wanted to say. The one thing I'll say is um, just considering Portland's defensive scheme that they play a deep drop like all the time with Nurkic and, and Hassan Whiteside, like they're going to have to change that because Obi can't play in a deep drop. He can't backpedal like that. He can't like jump out of a backpedal. Uh, he's not a drop defender. Um, so just, you know, with this pick, they would have to change their defensive scheme. But uh, now I'll, I'll let Zach uh, get into what he wanted to say about this. Yeah, so, so the defense in Portland with this pick, I mean, will I'll definitely be underwhelming. But it's, it's a good value pick, in my opinion. I'm very intrigued to see how it would play out. Like, putting Obi next to two dynamic guards and Dame and CJ, it would really put him in a position to succeed offensively. Um, they would just – they would require so much um, – the defense would be so vigilant on them where Obi would just be able to roll to the basket or pop and then – I, I do think I, I have faith in this shot. Um, this year he shot 40.6% on catch and shoot threes, 28 for 69. He actually shot 50% on spot up, no dribble threes, 21 for 42. So just being able to space the floor and also roll to the basket. And then he also, I mean, he brings intrigue where he can take advantage of mismatches because not that he's the best mover, but I do think that his shot will have bigs have to close out on him. And I think he will be able to attack bigs closing out like he did a few times this year. And then he'll be able to take advantage of smaller guys on him with his contorted body finishes, which is a good touch around the basket. Or he uses his passing when um, teams have to help when he has a mismatch on him. So I think there's a lot to like about him from the offensive perspective here in Portland. And yes, the defense could definitely be a concern long term and it, it might not work out. But... With Damon CJ, I think they'll boost Obi's value so well offensively that he'll look good regardless of the defense there. And 
if Portland isn't a fan of how they look going forward with him defensively, he'll probably have good enough value to trade right after if it doesn't work out. So I, I do like this pick. And we've talked about how I mean, Obi's fit is so perfect with um, Anthony Grant and, and Dayton's offense. And I like that uh, with Terry Stotts, who's a, a pretty great offensive coach as well. As someone who I believe in unlocking the versatility that that Obi needs to be maximized on offense. I mean, I mean, I mean, freaking a, a short roll partner for Dame. I mean, Dame is one of the most um, is one of the players in the league with the most shooting gravity. Uh, he commands double teams off pick and rolls off all the time, and Obi's going to be able to really benefit um, as a pick and roll uh, short roll player, uh, making decisions and taking advantage of the advantages that Dame creates. And I mean, CJ as well is another fantastic pull up shooter. Yeah, and, and potentially someone who can also uh, run, uh, be effective in second units uh, when Dame and CJ both sit as a guy who maybe gets a few post touches um, as like a really incredible post. And really good post score uh, with his contortion finishes, like we said, awesome touch. So, yeah, I mean, overall, like offensively, especially, it's just a really good fit. I think. Yeah, I, 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 this does kind of make me think, though. Um, like, I'm a little more concerned about Ob going as high as he's going to go, and because I think he's top seven or eight for ESPN, and just you know, barring someone from late in the lottery jumping, that means he's not going to be playing with a great. Um, pick and roll guard, and I think it's important to note that like I, like Obi is going to be a, a great pick and roll player, I think. But I think he's still a pick and roll player. Like he's he's fundamentally a complementary offensive player. Like he's not an isolation scorer. I definitely have pretty significant concern about him as as a post scorer in the NBA, just because of where his, his center of gravity is at. Um, so I I do think that like he needs a great pick and roll guard to play with. And I'm a little worried that he's not going to get that, you know, if he's going to uh, Detroit or something like that in the top in the top five to, to eight or whatever. Um, but in Portland, I mean, you don't have that problem. You have him playing with one of the best, you know, pick and roll players in the league. Um, but I do think I think I do think it's just it's worth noting that especially for a guy who's thought of correctly as an offensive prospect, uh, that he's like still fundamentally like I think projects as like a pretty complimentary player like he's not he's not one of the off one of the few offensive hub big men in, in the league right and i think that's a fair point to bring up um about what guard he'll be playing next to i personally do have Obi a little higher than this i would take him top 10 um but i do think that's a good point to bring up he might not be playing with that kind of uh, that dynamic of a guard but I think long term it will be fine, and I know summer. Like I know everyone views him as an offensive guy. I think I'm a little higher on the offense. I do think the offense could be that good to where it outweighs the defense, um, and he could be. I wouldn't say the best offensive player. No, I wouldn't say that. But I still think he could be really, really good. Maybe even like special on the end still. Um, and yeah, I mean you're probably never running an offense through him. Like he, he's not going to be a, a cat level kind of offensive player. But he, he still could be a really good offensive player where, he, he like I said before, he can be a really good role man. He can displace the four with pick and pops or even just spotting up on the perimeter and let his guards drive to the basket. He can attack closeouts. He can take advantage of help defense and pass. He can be a short roll passer. He can take advantage of mismatches. There's still a lot to like there. Yeah, no, there definitely is. And I, I, I have a lot of belief in him as, a, as an offensive player. I just think that he's, for an offense-first prospect, definitely more – um, more complimentary than, say, a guard creator um, would be. Um, 
with that, should, should we move on to a creator gamble that Ben took at 15, uh, the very next pick with the Orlando Magic? He took uh, Leandro Bolmaro uh, and an, another guy who we're very high on on this podcast. But uh, I guess I'll, I'll let Zach, uh, you know, uh, offer a, a different perspective on that. Yeah. So, I mean, while you're still enjoying him playing right now, I'll just do some talking. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really think this is a great pick in, in any scenario. I mean, Orlando's team already has some really nice defenders and they could really use some offense over there. And with, with Bomaro, I mean, I know you guys view him, his upside as more of a creator kind of guy. His offense is still a big question right now. And taking him to a team where their offense is such a big question already, it's just a little weird. I mean, yes, like Mac was saying earlier, like you don't want to just disregard fit. You don't want to do everything about fit. It's a little bit about both, but personally to me, he wasn't even best player available. Like, I know some people aren't a big Grant, aren't big Grant Riller fans. He's my favorite player in the draft, and we'll get to him in a little. But he's the kind of offensive player that Orlando could really actually use. And then look at the defense that they have. They actually have the best defenders, not the best defenders, but they have really good defenders surrounding Grant Riller to make up for his defense as well. So that's my problem with this pick. I don't think the fit's good. I don't think he was best player available. I know you might have a different opinion on best player available. But, yeah, I mean, he didn't – like, he, he was a good player in second division this year, but it's not like he dominated on the ball either. So so projecting from someone who was a, a fine player in the second division to being some on-ball, like, really good creator in the NBA is just a really big projection. It might be one of the bigger projections in the draft. Um, so it's just at, at 16, that's a little bit too high of a risk for me where I don't think his upside's like that. Um, I know I'm rambling a lot here, but one more thing I would say is that I think I don't view him that way. I view him as someone that can become a nice knockdown, like spot up shooter who, who's good enough, um, spotting up and then he can defend perimeters on the other end. I think that's the role I would view him at and not this on ball creator. Yeah. I'll quickly say, um, in hindsight, I probably should have picked Grant Riller here. Um, I was like, I had those two um, on my list, and I won't pull tomorrow. I'll give my thoughts. I'll, I'll give my reasoning for that, and I'll defend that. But I probably should have picked Riller just because, like you said, I mean, they the Magic desperately need guys who can get their own shot and and create their own shot and score, and and really would have done that. But I'll give my reasoning for tomorrow. And one, I mean, as listeners will know, I mean, I'm much higher on the upside as a creator than Zach. I mean, I, yes, he wasn't like incredibly dominant in the like in the Spanish second division and that's totally valid but I believe I, I mean he was also entrusted as a creator and had success as a creator with Barcelona in the ACB which is equally as impressive to me um that they trust an 18 year old to, to run their offense and have success it, it, yeah and then just being more of a believer in just really excellent ball handling someone who's someone who varies speeds and directions varies his dribble height is able to actually get to spots despite not being super strong or having the greatest burst. And then I, I, another believer in a big believer in his, in his passing is, is pick and roll reads. And again, if he does become a spot up guy, um, which is the issue, I, someone who will be able to attack closeouts and really make a lot out of, out of those advantages with, with his passing. But then, and then, I mean, with Bomaro being what, like five, four or five years younger than Grant Riller, um, that's that's a factor I took took into consideration as yeah, Grant Riller would have certainly benefited more in the short ter- short term and may and may benefit more in the long term if Bomaro never works out. But I like Bomaro um, kind of looking more at the long term because I'm not sure really sure Grant really moves the needle for the the Magic into like anything more than like low tier playoff contention, um, which is kind of what I was trying to go for for them. 
Will he take a swing to maybe be more? And I mean, like I said, I mean, yes, like they have a lot of defense. They, I mean, you don't need Bolmaro to, to to make that defense because they are. I mean, they already have Isaac, who's one of the best defenders in the league this year. Um, Bomba looks improved. Fultz is pretty good on that end. But I mean, just adding someone like another incredible point of attack defender and someone who's another smart team defender in Bolmaro only makes it more deadly of a unit. And like, I don't think adding defense hurts. But yeah, I mean, I see the cases for and I see the cases against this pick. And if you really disagreed, I'm more in a fan of Bomaro upside and are uh the grant really guy i definitely understand why you wouldn't like the pick so yeah yeah and i sort of just one more thing like yeah i just felt like like a fantasizing pick about the potential defensive monster they would have like yeah that's fair. Just, it, it, it just i mean yes that that defensive team sounds really good but like it just didn't make much sense from a roster construction standpoint as well um but yeah I will give Bomaro credit. He he has really nice handles for his size does a good job of getting into the paint and all that kind of stuff um but even even if he does become a better offensive player, I don't think he'll ever be this guy who's also creating for himself off the dribble and like pull up shots. So like that's also another thing that I took into account. Like I don't think him becoming some pull up shooter is in his upside as well. Like okay, sure maybe in his upside, but it's not realistic to me. I mean, I think that's a reasonable take. I I th- I'm just simply higher on him as an advantage creator than you are, Zach. Um, with his handle, uh, with his just creativity, and then what he can do with that as a creative passer with very, very high feel, um, you know, once once he gets into the defense. Now, the problem is if people don't respect him at all as a scorer, which, I, like, is a huge concern. Like, he, he has to develop massively yeah. either as a finisher or as a pull-up shooter, and finisher seems unlikely since he can't jump. Um, so he probably has to be, like, a pretty solid pull-up shooter. But just... I mean, on the off chance that it happens, and I don't think it, I don't think it's a Patrick Williams situation where you have to just like hope that he develops because I think Bolmaro has taken strides as a shooter. Like he he used to have a very a very arrhythmic um, and just ugly jumper as recently as last summer, and I think that it's it's you know it's it's by no means a thing of beauty now, but it's it's a little less segmented and it looks a little more like a workable uh, jump shot that there's, there's uh, like reason to believe that he's on a development arc in that respect that is positive enough that he could threaten a defense enough to keep the passing windows open. Um, so that's why I believe in him as a creator. And in this case, as opposed to the Patrick Williams pick, I'm more, uh, receptive to the idea of BPA that said like live on the mock, I was positive that the pick was Grant Riller. It makes so much sense. It just seems so obvious to me. Um, and I think that's the direction I would have gone. Cause even though I think Bulmaro is a, is a better, uh, prospect in my eyes, uh, the margin's not large enough for, uh, the fit to, you know, to not make up that gap. Uh, especially because, I mean, I think the magic are a team that's like looking to be in the playoffs right now, a, a guy who's, who has, you know, real chance to be a high level NBA creator stepping in, um, you know, day one and Ben has cited age as a negative, but I don't, I don't think the magic are peaking in, in four or five years they're kind of peaking now like you've got Isaac playing at a very high level you've got Vooch playing at a very high level like this is a team that just needs the offensive creator and Grant Riller like might be able to step in and do that from day one all right should we move on to our next guy yeah Tyrell Terry to is it Denver Denver I'll start um we still have have Grant Riller to talk about we should probably go we should we skip Riller yeah Uh, yeah let's do Riller yeah to uh, Dallas at Dallas at 18. 18? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, like I said, um, 
just previously, my favorite player in this class. Um, easily, I think he has the best first step in the class. I mean, the advantage he creates just from one step to get to the basket or get into his pull-up is pretty ridiculous. And he's probably the most gifted offensively in this class as well. And I don't even think that, like, yes, he's older than everyone, but I'm not even sure in three or four years that these players will even be able to do what he does offensively now. So, like, I think he's that good offensively. Whether it translates or not is another question. Um, but just the moves he did this year and the skill he showed is very, very impressive. I wrote, I mean, you guys have, I wrote a whole piece on him and I, huge Grant Riller fan, but I do think that, um, his defense, there is some cause for concern there. I mean, he hasn't been a good defender any of his four years, but he has the tools to be a good defender. He has shown some flashes. So there is at least some room for hope. I will say that not being a good defender in the conference he played with is a little bit worrisome, but I would just be more optimistic there. At his age as well. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. And then and then one other thing is I think he's actually grown as a passer as well. Wow. So, like, early on in his college career, he was playing off the ball more, and that's when he showed his spot of shooting. And then as he was at Charleston longer, became more of an on-ball player where he showed more off-the-dribble shooting, but he also improved his passing. So he's shown both of it. And these last two years, I think this year was better than last year, but the passing really took a jump last year where he started making these more advanced reads with the cross-court passes out of the pick-and-roll, the dump-offs. And he does a really good job at taking advantage of a scoring gravity. So if you don't think the scoring translates, I guess the concern, because if the scoring doesn't translate, the scoring gravity won't, and it takes away some passing. But if the scoring translates, then the passes are going to be there for him as well. Yeah, I'll say I'm not a huge fan of the Dallas fit uh, for a couple reasons. One, I mean, the first one we talked about it defensively. I mean, uh, Lucas obviously made strides as a defender in his second year, and he could continue to do so, but he's not spectacular there. And the, the defensive combination of, of Luca and 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 Miller, and they have other guards like like Brunson, who's fine but small, and Tim Hardaway, who's not a great defender. Um, that's uh, worrisome for me, and I just think. I mean, I mean, and we talked about like we talked about the modern NBA being so like heliocentric offensively, and, and Luca commanding so much volume for good reason. I mean, he captained arguably the best offense in NBA history this last year. I mean, was spectacular as a twenty-year-old. Um, and Riller, I mean, adds his most value, like like Zach's talked about, playing on the ball. He's such a talented creator with his first step and his ability to to create space for setbacks and jumpers and get to the rim and his elite finishing. Um, I'm worried his his value just is is lessened a little bit playing majority off the ball. I mean, yes, I mean, when Lucas sits, um, he, he could conceivably initiate quite a bit of offense and, and do that. But they already have backup point guards and just the, like the value that backup guards add is, isn't that high. Um, I mean, I think this is like in terms of like like value, in terms of ranking, I think this is great value for Riller. I think this is perfectly fine. But in terms of just offensive fit and, and scalability, um, I would have probably gone with the shooter like Bain or, or Isaiah Joe here. Uh, right. or, so, or someone like that. Uh, but I'm just not a big fan of the fit. Um, but like, I get the thinking. I mean, and again, you talk about fantasizing with uh, Bomaro and and the Magic. Just fantasizing about a real Luca offensive backcourt is is pretty insane. To think right. About. And, but yeah. I, in terms of practicality, I'm, I'm not a big fan. So. Right. And I also think that um, I like the pick just because I think he's clearly the best player available by a good amount over the next players. I, I will say that yeah, the, the fit. I mean, it's not a bad fit in my opinion because, I mean, as a rookie, yeah, he's older. But, like, if he can still be a six-man off the bench and still score, that's probably fine for a rookie. And he can still grow from there and take on more responsibilities as he plays in the NBA longer. Um, but, yeah, the fit's not the best, but it's still fine. And But, yeah, I mean, I just thought he was the best player available by a good amount. So, 
it's not like it was a bad fit to where you just pass on him. Um, and, and yeah, like something that he does good. I, I didn't touch on, like you said, though, um, finishing is amazing. Step back's amazing. Just so advanced as a score. And something that he also does is he adjusts his shot and like his elevation on his shot on his pull-ups. Like if he has a tough closeout, he'll lean back or jump higher. Like he'll, he'll adjust his shot depending on the defender that is um, defending him, which is also very advanced, even though he's a little older. That's why I've been preaching that. I just don't think even in three years, other guys will be where he's at offensively. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember if Jackson mentioned this on the podcast, but for him, Grant Riller was best player available by, I think a pretty wide margin. Uh, he, he's a huge Grant Riller guy. And in that sense, I definitely get it. I would have concerns about the defensive fit. I think there are some diminishing returns. Definitely. Like, Grant Riller attacking off the ball, very like very useful. As I'm sure Zach has the stats memorized, uh, very good spot up, no dribble shooter over over his four years. Um, but like Grant Riller doesn't need a tilted floor to attack because a lot of the appeal of Grant Riller is that with one step he can blow by anyone from a standstill. It's totally absurd, and you kind of you know you're not deriving the utmost value from that if he's just working off the ball and attacking. But I mean it, it's. I don't know if I would have gone in that direction, but if like in Jackson's position for sure with him, like as by far the best player available, I think the fit is good enough. Um, and I mean, just like how high can the the highest offensive rating of all time already go? You know, if you're adding Grant Riller to a Luka Doncic backcourt, it's pretty ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Um, good to move on to the next one. Yeah. Tyrell Terry. Right, so Tyrell Terry to Denver. This is a pick I like a lot. Uh, first in terms of value, just, just good value. And in terms of, um, a guard playing next to Nikola Jokic. I think it's kind of the ideal situation for Tyrell Terry, who is a really good off-ball player, um, was great shooting off screens, uh, spot on dribble jumpers, numbers. I don't have them off the top of my head, but they were very good. And I mean, in, in the pull-up as well, being able to play uh, with Jokic in the pick and roll um, on the ball a little bit. So as a shooter, I, I love the fit. He's a really smart cutter. And, and like we said, I mean, the big issue with him, I mean, t- despite his frame, Tyrell Terry is an incredible finisher with just awesome touch and craft and body control. But the issue is, can he actually get to the rim? Can he make the most of his finishing? Because, well, he's hit, his burst is, is really poor. Uh, his handle is good, but it's a little loose and it, it could use improving. And then the frame is just so bad to where he gets bumped off of spots very often. But I mean, in, in Denver's like cut heavy offense, um, that kind of mitigates the the need to create his own advantages and create his own driving lanes and allow um, off-ball movement to to get him to the rim and to take you to his finishing there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, just Tyrell Terry with, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's a chance it just never works out because he's never good enough with his frames, never never improves. He's, he's too bad on defense. And he just doesn't he – he isn't able to hold up um, physically in the NBA. But in terms of just, like, an offensive fit, I think this is one of the better ones in the draft. Yeah, I, I owe Ben an apology, really. <laughs> I'm making wild faces at Bulmaro because uh, in, in the game that he just played against Hoventut, uh, like, the first game – back from uh from the hiatus he was uh they were just totally ignoring him on the ball like giving him the ben simmons treatment it was really bad and um whatever team they're, they're playing right now just did that to him and he took a wonderful pull up and he nailed it <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go i love but, it but yeah, so much back to tyrell though um yeah so i'll just bring some shooting numbers up um he shot 41 percent from three this year 51 percent on catch and shoot threes in the half court and 56% on guarded catch and shoot three. So yeah. he, he's a really, really good shooter um, and a really good off-ball player. And like Ben was saying, putting him next to um, another bigger initiator, 
is going to be beneficial to him. Like I've been saying for the last however many months that playing hand next to someone like Ben Simmons or, or Giannis or, or LeBron or Luca would all be beneficial to him because it gets him off the ball and it doesn't sacrifice that much defensively instead of um, playing him next to another small guard because he's already small himself. So him with another small point guard, it just will sacrifice stuff defensively. But playing him as a bigger initiator, he can be that small guard on the court. And then I have been watching some Tyrell Terry AAU recently, and I just wanted to point out his passing does look better than it did at Stanford. And he also looks a lot more comfortable handling the ball. I think going against stronger players in college actually affected his handle because he would get pushed off some spots, and that problem's probably going to carry over to the NBA. But that's also a problem that could be fixed with some added strength as well. So just I think that's extra information that should be noted and that should be known going forward. That's interesting to note with the um, with the handle because like his handle at Stanford was not good, right? Um, and I think it's probably like one of the very serious impediments to the idea of Tyrell Terry as like a primary initiator type. Um, but yeah, I mean he's he's one of those one of those guys in this class that is a really good complement to a to a jumbo initiator type. So I think it makes sense. Although, I mean, the one concern I would have for Denver is just like a desire to get someone who can play in the short term because Tyrell Terry is what, like 6'2", 165. Um, like, I don't think he's playing for a 50-plus win team uh, as a rookie. That seems really unlikely to me. And I, let me, I want to take a quick look at the board. But, I mean, someone like Josh Green, I think, would be much more likely to be able to play in the short term and that's like you know a, a big bodied like guard wing something that I think Denver could actually use. Um, so I I might have been I probably would have been more inclined personally to go for more of a of a short term contributor for a team like that. But I, I think long term for for the reasons that, that Zach stated, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and like you said about the handle, uh, I think that it was it was definitely losing college. I wouldn't say it was that bad. I mean, it definitely. Um, affected him at times like it, it stopped him or it, it hurt his chances to get into some pull-ups off the dribble it hurt him getting to the basket sometimes and that would open up more passing so it, it does need to tighten up a little hopefully maybe some added strength actually is the answer there or just tightening it up in general but yeah it, just improving the handle i mean it's, it's pretty hard to improve your handle a good amount but i do think of him as more of an off-ball player anyways who could still play on the ball when needed so like I mean, his, his ceiling kind of outcome is he's going to be this off-ball shooter. But if you want to play him with the bench, he could still be an on-ball player with the bench. That's his kind of ceiling. Yeah. I usually say, oh. Well, I, I was just going to ask what you guys think about Denver having – because, like, on a play-to-play basis, obviously, you play through Jokic. But, like, having an off-the-dribble creator if if um, Terry is, is, you know, your guy. But, I, I mean, I guess he's not. You have, you have Murray there, and then maybe MPJ is – is you know that off the dribble creator, so maybe that's not a concern at all. But uh, like in a vacuum, I guess if like I maybe that's more applicable if Terry went somewhere like Philadelphia, where, where he like he does make a lot of sense as a compliment to to Ben Simmons in some ways, but like still, who's who is your off the dribble creator then? Right, and yeah, and I think um, early on, yeah, that's probably not what you want Tyrell Terry doing, but in the long run, he might be able to get to that point. But yeah, you probably still want another guy like like let's say hypothetically high end ceiling. He's he's starting as an off ball guy. You probably still do want another guy next to Ben Simmons who can shoot off the dribble as well. Yeah, I'll quickly say I think the physically like Zach, Zach uh, quickly brought this up, and this is like kind of an answer to this question. I think improving uh, physically would be um, 
like a lot would be like would really benefit. I mean, I, I think there's, there's lots of instances uh, where you see. Um, I mean, yes, his, his burst uh, is really underwhelming a lot of times off the dribble, but like he'll attack off the catch and his burst looks legitimately good. Um, so, so I think just not getting bumped off of his spot like every single time um, would be big for him. Cause I, that, the strength is really just the issue that that opens up the rest of his game to me. And so. before before we do move on, um, I do want to touch on that. Tyrell Terry is also a, an amazing transition player. And I just feel like whenever we're talking about Tyrell Terry, you, you can't just ignore transition. He's actually a really good transition player because, like we talked about, he's good off the ball. So he knows where to run in transition, how to space the floor, when to attack. And he's obviously a really good shooter. So he's also a dangerous transition player. Following the senseless murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and countless other black community members at the hands of police officers, we want to ensure that we do what we can to make a tangible impact on those communities as we grow. Armchair Media will be issuing four $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. If you've ever been dismissed as having an unrealistic career path, if you've ever butted heads with parents or teachers because they don't recognize exactly what you want to do with your life, if you have feared to express yourself or put your work into the world due to potential backlash, we strongly encourage you to apply. We recognize that there are creatives out there who may have bypassed college to pursue other avenues, who didn't get into college because their passions didn't translate to collegiate testing, or who did not have access to the financial means to pay for college. This is why there are only three requirements for eligibility. Black creative under the age of 21, and you submit a project, graphic design, photography, writing, audio, video, journalism, creative writing, to scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. That's scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. Ben, do you want to cut this at part one right now, or do you want to do one more guy? I think we can do one more. I think okay. one more. Um, yeah. So now we've got Josh Green going to, yeah, Philly. Uh, what was it, 22? Yeah, and I mean, I, I had expressed some concern, I think, during the second round when I thought that all that, all that PD had, had come away with for Philly was Josh Green and Paul Reed before I was reminded that he had gotten the perfect Ben Simmons compliment in Malachi Flynn. But, I mean, I, Zach and I were talking off the air, and there, there, are, some, there are some concerns with Josh Green going to Philly that uh, this should probably be addressed. Yeah, so... I mean, so I went to Arizona. I graduated two years ago. So I've, I've watched pretty much every Arizona game the last seven. Like before I went to Arizona, I would watch them also. I just have connections there um, just growing up. So I, I've watched them the last seven years. And I want to talk about Josh Green for a second. I will say that I actually do buy Josh Green's shot long term. Um, my, my main concern with him is actually the confidence in the shot. He, he shot the ball well this year, but there were times more early on in the season um, where he would just pass up shots on the offensive end where it became a liability on offense. Teams stopped closing out on him. Teams stopped, or teams started helping off of him. He would pass up open shots, and it just really hurt the offense for Arizona. Um, like I said, he shot well. I buy the shot long-term. So if the volume gets better and the confidence gets better, I'm fine with it. But for a team like Philadelphia where – if his confidence is down and they need the spacing and it could hurt them eventually. But, but yeah, like I said, I just think his confidence is more of an issue than the shot itself, in my opinion, uh, when we're thinking about long-term. Yeah. I mean, we've talked in, in pretty good depth in the past about Josh Green's mechanical issues with his shot. Uh, I'm probably a little lower on him long-term as a shooter. Uh, I probably not that meaningfully, but yeah, it's just, I don't think that that's a good or a great spot for him, at least in the short term. Uh, and I mean, this is also not a new problem. Like this was a problem for him 
uh, pre-college at, at yeah. IMG and um, I forget what, uh, what AAU team he played with, but um, like, this has been a problem for him that he sort of vanishes for, for periods uh, and just is not involving himself in offense. And that's not great for a team like Philly that, that really does need more shooting. Yeah, but I, I will say I like the like what he does in terms of um, like not shooting. I mean, he's a great passer, like known, and then like that's gonna fit well with um, Ben Simmons cutting and, and, and you know feeding and beating the post. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like if the shot's not there, um, like like I said, like, I do buy the shot, and I like Josh Green long term because of it. Um, but Philly's not in a position to where they can really take a risk on a guy with a questionable shot. Like that's just not a position that they're in and obviously like i mean in this situation they got malachi which makes a lot of sense and i get like like if green is bpa i think green would have been bpa for me here as well um in this situation for philly so i i get the pick and then i like it a lot defensively um again philly has a lot of defenders um getting more wing defenders never really hurts well because green's green's gonna be effective there i think I'm, i'm i'm big on the defense as we've talked about plenty yeah i mean i do worry about just someone who, because if he doesn't really hit like a higher end shooting outcome, he's probably not very useful for for Philly because he can't really cut either. Because I mean, as we've talked about, the the finishing is a big issue. Can't finish with his left. Um, it's a problem in the half court, and he, so, so he won't be able to add off ball value in that way. So yeah, I mean, I certainly a risk um, at this point. It's probably not as safe a pick as I'd like for a Philly who like has very specific needs. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fine pick to me. Yeah, so the main thing about with Philly, though, is they do have so many picks in this draft, so you don't need to take the safe pick yeah. for every single pick. I mean, they, I mean, not that Josh Green is some crazy upside pick either, but it is something to think about. If you have so many picks, you don't need to go, okay, this safe one, this safe one, that safe one. It's okay to, to take a chance here and there with that many picks, especially when you're looking for other things as well. Yeah, and I mean, if you believe in Josh Green long-term as a shooter, like then in the, in the long-term, he's a pretty nice option to have for philly where right. you've got a really strong versatile wing defender who if you're confident in his shooting also shoots um and that has you know can make plays when attacking a closeout as well that sounds like something that would fit really nicely in philly so from a long-term perspective i definitely get it but i, I just think that they're a team that should be pretty aggressively gearing everything short term just given uh where their window seems to be um ben do you want to cut part one now and, uh, and then we can start back up with part two. Yeah, sure. We'll cut part one. So I'll quickly outro. Uh, again, thank you, Zach, for, for coming on. We, we, we really enjoyed talking to him. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach Milner 13. Like I talked about, does great work at the Stephian. Lots of scattering reports, uh, including on Grant Miller and a bunch of other point guards and other guys. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore Max at Max A. Carlin. Uh, you can follow the pod at prep number two pro prep number two pro pod. Uh, keep leaving uh, five star reviews and subscribing on Apple. That stuff really helps us. And yeah, uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.